So I listened to the album today for the first time <laughs> in, uh, I'd say, two years, three years. This is Mike Birbiglia. This is a show called The Old Ones. And, uh, and we're talking about uh, some of my old comedy albums. And I'm, I'm here with my brother Joe, frequent collaborator. He was a producer of this album and uh, the, the movies and the other albums. We've been working together for many, many years. And uh, we're talking today about one of my albums, my Secret Public Journal Live, uh, recorded at the Columbus Funny Bone. For Comedy Central Records. For Comedy Central Records. That's right. Yeah. You know, one thing I'll always remember, you recorded this at the Funny Bone. In Columbus. In Columbus. Yeah. In the mall. Which is in a strip mall. But yeah. I always remember it was kind of fun. We recorded four of these shows, and you invited me on the stage afterwards on the last one. Remember that? Yeah. That was fun. Well, you have a thing where a lot of times you'll come on tour. Yeah. And you'll be at, like, a merch table. Yeah. And people will think, you are me. What do you do when that happens? That's so weird. <laughs> I've never, because I've never. Oh, there's a lot. Before the show, it's like, what are you doing out here? Yeah, what are you doing here? Or That's after the, the funniest thing. Like, What's Mike doing here in the lobby of his own show? Or then afterwards, they'll stream right out of the theater and I'll be there. And it's, uh, how did you get here so fast? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get here so fast? I don't know. I was going to say. Favorite track, least favorite track. Oh, geez. I, for me, it was easy. Celebrity Golf is my favorite. <laughs> First story I'm going to tell you is about the worst show that I have ever had in my life. I think that's a good way to kick things off. Uh, it happened this year. I was asked to perform at a charity golf tournament in New Jersey. So I went and I played golf. And I brought my brother, Joe, and uh, Joe is... Joe's kind of like a bad entourage member. He's never like, you the man, Mike. He's always like, I don't know what dad would think about this. And do you think they have any more shrimp? You know, that kind of thing. But uh, we showed up to play golf and they paired us up with these two other people. And it was a celebrity tournament that people were like, who do you think our celebrity is going to be? And, uh, and I was... <laughs> <laughs> and Joe and I were like, yeah, who do you think our celebrity is going to be? And then I'm like, oh, no. I think it might be me. And then, like, I'm apologizing to these people. I'm like, I'm really sorry I'm your celebrity. If you think this is disappointing for you, you can't imagine how I feel. I said to the woman in charge, I go, what's the format of the show? And she goes, well, there's two speakers, and then you, and then a raffle. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's exciting, because I've never opened for a raffle. And um, <laughs> I'm trying to stay optimistic, you know, and I'm sitting in the back of the room with my brother Joe, and the first speaker comes on the stage, and he's an 11-year-old boy who survived leukemia. I know. <laughs> He's not funny at all. <laughs> he focuses primarily on the leukemia and everyone is crying. Literally everyone is crying. I'm even crying in the back of the room 
for two reasons. <laughs> One, the kid, and two, for me. Because uh, I have to perform comedy. And it gets worse because Joe leans over and he goes, this ain't looking so good, Mike. <laughs> And I don't want to fail. I mean, that's a really important point in this story is that I these are good people and I want to succeed for them, but I just can't, you know? And so I think to myself, why don't I cater my material to this specific event? And everyone has been talking about cancer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm in the future also. <laughs> I had that thought on stage for about one second and then better up! I said to the audience, a true story, I said I went to the doctor and they told me there was something in my bladder and whenever they tell you that, it's never anything good, you know, like we found something in your bladder and it's season tickets to the Yankees! <laughs> that was the response I was hoping for. <laughs> At that point, I just threw in the towel. I mean, I was just devastated. I, I thanked the audience and apologized simultaneously, <laughs> which I've never done. I was like, thank you, sorry for ruining your event. And I just kind of... <laughs> walked off and I was so upset and I, I, I walked over to Joe and I go, Joe, we are leaving now. And that's when Joe said, and I quote, Mike, I can't. They're just about to start the raffle. <laughs> and because everybody left, my odds are amazing. <laughs> and that is the worst show I have ever done in my entire life. Yeah. The reason I like Celebrity Golf is yeah. that, first of all, it happened. You and I experienced it. I think the reason I like it still is that it was so painful at the time that the pain endures. <laughs> this whole album, by the way, uh, was originally just these stories that I would send out to uh, people who signed up for my mailing list. Yeah. And that's where these stories came from. And at a certain point, we were like, well, let's just have that be an album. Yeah. Where I take all the best ones, and we turned it around really fast. Well, and that's what I wanted to point out, is also in 06, 07, the Two Drink Mike had come out, your first album on Comedy yeah. Central Records, and you realized it was like a learning curve for you as a comedian, like, oh, now that this has been on television, you can't perform it. You can't so perform the material anymore. People yeah. don't want to hear what they've heard. Yeah, it's and, like people go to yeah. Elton John to hear Tiny Dancer again, but they don't go <laughs> to see a Jerry Seinfeld show to hear go, do Olympics. Right. Yeah, the, the repetition of comedy is a funny thing because Mitch Hedberg is one of the great comedians of all time, the late, great Mitch Hedberg. I opened for him a handful of times, and towards the end— People would come to his shows and they would shout out jokes. Right. They would just go like, Tide! You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember talking to him after the shows and him being like, they don't realize 
that if I said the joke that they're shouting, they're not going to laugh. They're going <laughs> to clap. Right. And right. no one comes to a comedy show to clap, mm. which is why you need new material. Yeah. And that's how we arrived at Secret Journal Live because yeah. we were like, well, we have a ton of stockpiled stories. Yep. Let's put out an album really fast. And so it was an experiment. The other thing I always take away from the Secret Public Journal live album is this idea. I think you told me at one point on the streets of DC when we were, you were recording some warm up sets of this album is, you know, if you tell things that are personal, no one can steal them. Whenever we're kicking around jokes, we always talk about how, you know, we'll come upon a topic and we'll go, yeah, a lot of. A lot of comics are swimming in that pond these days. Yeah. And what we'll try to do is we'll leave that pond. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we feel like we're in someone else's pond, we we try to move away from it, which is why, like you're saying, why, why the personal jokes work and the personal stories. Uh, also, Joe's sort of, in addition to me, my brother and someone I've always looked up to, he introduced me to comedy. When I was 12, he was writing spoof issues of his high school newspaper. I was sort of you know, offering a tag here and there, but mostly just sitting in, shadowing the process. And it really gave me the bug for writing comedy. When I got out of college, he was really my biggest supporter who, who when <laughs> when no one really believed I, I could be a comedian, including my parents, a lot of... <laughs> I tracked him down. Friends. Uh, Joe uh, not only did that, but, but lent me, wait for it, $5,000. <laughs> <laughs> which is money he didn't have. It was a line of credit. Yeah. You gave me a line of credit right. that uh, that you didn't have. We'll, we'll think of a way you could return the favor. So a lot of times people shout out at shows like, I'll say your name, and they'll shout, Joe Bags! Yeah, yeah. Which is also, by the way, a fun track on the album. Yes. This is uh, the explanation of why, to this day, I call Joe, my brother Joe, Joe Bags, or Joey Bag of Donuts. That's my brother Joe. My brother Joe is here tonight with us, my brother, and uh, he's my older brother. I always followed in his footsteps. He wore overalls, I wore overalls. He lit off fireworks in the attic. I was hit by the fireworks and <laughs> rushed to the hospital. And when I was, I was 14, I, he got me my first job as a busboy at a restaurant. And uh, it was really exciting, but I was so young and I worked for these like tough Boston cooks. You know, I'm from Boston and uh, so they really didn't like look at me or talk to me, but then one day one of the guys was like, uh, give me this blank stare and he goes, how'd you get this job anyway? And I was like, oh, my brother Joe worked here last summer. And his eyes lit up and he goes, Joey bag of donuts? <laughs> Your brother's Joey bag of donuts? We love Joey Bag of Donuts. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I went home that night and I go, Joe, was your nickname at the restaurant Joey Bag of Donuts? And he was like, no. That was this other guy. That guy was awesome. So for the rest of the summer, I had to live the lie that my brother was Joey Bag of Donuts. They'd be like, seriously, how much can Joe Bags drink? I was like, so much. What do you think is the difference between Joe Bags in real life and Joe Bags the character? Well, I get that a lot, this whole question of, 
you're you're portrayed as a mooch and you know how do you feel your America's brother, guest America's guest and how do you feel that your brother's up there making fun of you and I just uh I have to laugh at it because I, half the time I'm just like yeah I uh I wrote that <laughs> I joke. wrote that joke yeah yeah <laughs> no and it's true and, and actually that's true a lot of Jen too my wife yeah <laughs> not true of our parents right right <laughs> I don't want to depict you guys in ways that you don't want yourself right. depicted. Right. Um, it's just not, I, I don't know. I don't, I, whereas with our parents, it's like, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. So you were asking me my favorite tracks. I have a few. I particularly do, <laughs> I, I do, I like porno for parents. I didn't realize how good I was with computers until I met my parents. Um, <laughs> My parents are like, what would happen if you gave a monkey a computer? You know, they just kind of like bat in, sniff in, poop in their hands and rub it on the keys. And... and it's not like I know anything about computers. I know one thing. I know that if a stranger emails you an attachment, you shouldn't open it, you know, like. And my parents didn't get the memo on that one. And they're lonely, you know, so they they open everything. They're just like, we got mail from XRXRZebo at monkeys.tv, you know, or whatever, I don't know. And uh, I'm like, that is not your friend. Like fun is that your friend? They ended up with a porn virus on their computer that was unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life. It was hardcore porn on the desktop, on the screensaver. The icons became dildos. A, a guy jumped out of the screen and was like, where's your daughter? You know, it was... It was literally terrifying. But I ended up, I figured out how to get the virus to go away. I actually called Joe Bags, and he, uh, he helped me out, and we got it to go away. But when I left the house, my parents had placed the computer in the corner of the house with the screen facing the wall, like the computer had done something wrong. So Porno for Parents. What do you like about Porno for Parents? I like the title, which I want to take credit for. Is that you? I remember late in the game, we were like, we need to title these tracks. And we had some basic ones, and we went, went through and tried to make them as fun as we could. And I think having it titled Porno for Parents, it really helped. <laughs> it helps with the YouTube count because oh, all God. the people on YouTube as are it, looking for porno. <laughs> no, I know. We, have an, we made an animation of it with, to the track, and... It's the highest view count of any of my YouTube yeah. stuff because it has the word porn in it, yeah. which is like, who are these people going on YouTube and being like, porn? Like, they haven't gotten the memo <laughs> that YouTube is not the place for porn? Oh, my God. Do you want to throw maybe to Roger Clemens now? Yeah. This is a track called Roger Clemens Hates Me, which, by the way, he probably doesn't hate me. probably doesn't has no idea who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Although they, he knows that there's a guy named Mike Perbiglia who is a comedian and has a track on the internet called Roger Clemens Hates Me. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked to perform at the MVP Awards for Major League Baseball. And uh, you know, I don't know why. I still don't know why. I mean, maybe they had heard about my work as backup right fielder as in Economy Paint Supply. But I showed up, and I'm... I, 
I'm, I'm assuming that I'm going to be some kind of sideshow or pre-show. They have me seated on the stage in between Dennis Eckersley, Roger Clemens, Dontrell Willis, Alex Rodriguez, uh, and we have a lot to talk about. You know, we're, uh, we're hashing out our multi-million dollar contracts and paternity suits and performance-enhancing drugs and... The people running the event had asked me to tell some jokes about baseball. And I was like, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Because those people are here. <laughs> well, they insisted on it. And so I got up and I, I said, you know, it's exciting to be here because I grew up in Boston. And I remember as a kid going to a baseball card show and paying $8 for Roger Clemens' autograph. And I'm sitting next to him now and he tried to charge me 13 And... <laughs> He didn't laugh at all, but other people did, so I was one for one. And, and then I, there were a lot of baseball writers there, so I said, you know, what's interesting about sports writers is they don't know how to play sports, and most of them don't know how to write. And they didn't laugh at that either, uh, but other people did, so I was two for two. Tell a few more jokes about baseball. I say thank you. I didn't have to apologize. And uh, I sat down and I'm like, oh, I'm in the clear. And the event continues and I realize that I have to pee. So I choose the most boring part of the night, the Lifetime Achievement Award for baseball writers. And uh, I know. I'm in the future also. And. sneak off and I, I'm peeing and I think everything's going to be okay and I walk back in the room and the recipient is finishing his speech and he goes, you know, some writers may not know how to write but some comedians don't know how to tell jokes. I think he was talking about me and because all thousand people who were in the room simultaneously looked at my empty chair for my response, and I was not there. And so I kind of jogged back up on stage and like waved, like, hey, I'm a good sport, you know? And I even walked by the guys who went to sit down, and I went to shake his hand, you know, as an act of goodwill, but he walked right by me. I know. I just, I felt awful. And I sit down and I look over at Clemens for affirmation. He hates me too. I look over at Eckersley and I go, Dennis. We were on a first name basis. I go, uh, I go, Dennis. Did you see that guy snub me? And Eckersley goes, eh, f him. <laughs> I was like, yeah, chuck up another save for the Eck. <laughs> <laughs> he
here's where it gets bad. <laughs> the event ends, and I'm with Joe Bags. I'm with my brother, Joe Bags. And, uh, and I go, uh, Joe, did you see that guy snub me on stage? And Joe says, Mike, didn't you see his speech? He's blind. <laughs> oh dear God. Not only had I insulted the blind guy, I had taunted him by trying to shake his hand. But the real evil one is Eckersley. Because he knew he was blind and he still said f him. By the way, true that I paid eight dollars for his autograph when I was like hmm, probably eleven. Yeah, I remember he had frosted tips when we saw. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that the correct way when you said that, and then uh, oh, geez, what'd you hear? What do you think I heard? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear that right. But he might have those too. <laughs> By the way, the, this blind sports writer is a guy named Hal McCoy. Yeah. He's a legendary sports writer from Cincinnati, and he since came to one of my live shows and yeah. came backstage and was really sweet. Yeah. Came to my Cincinnati show a few years ago and had a good sense of humor about it. Like, he was, he's a nice guy. He's a very talented writer. Yeah. And then Eckersley, oh, this is a funny follow-up yeah. for that story. Roger Clemens hates me. I did an event in Boston for the Massachusetts Municipal Association. It was a few months yeah. ago. And... The the speaker the night before, they do like an annual event. The speaker the night before was Dennis Eckersley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so so there's a back-to-back headliners for me and Eckersley. Yeah. And so they asked Eckersley, they go, so was it true what Mike Birbiglia said? And he get because he gets this constantly on Twitter and yeah. all, all the people who like this album yeah. always hit him up. Yeah. And he goes, no, that's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but he's wrong in the sense that it did happen – it maybe didn't happen exactly how I remember. I mean, you yeah. remember things the way you remember them. I yeah. mean, there's this great Sedaris line where someone said to him once, are your stories true? And he says, true enough for you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I think of it as, like, when we work on stories, I try to remember them as best I can. Yeah. And then ultimately, you have to fill in your memory isn't a video camera. Right. And right. so you have to fill in the gaps of what the parts you remember yeah. with stuff that is either plausible or, or punchlines. Or, yeah, or, or jokes <laughs> and punchlines or things that maybe happened or maybe right. did. And so I think in that sense, Eckersley probably heard the track and was like, I didn't say that, but I did say, well, mm -hmm. I probably said something like this. Right. But him going, yeah, fuck him. He said that. Right. The one that I was remembering today, because a lot of the journal, Secret Public Journal album 
is about like hell gigs, like the MVP yeah. awards or the celebrity golf or like oddball things that you and I have experienced over the years. And I was thinking about how this is cutting room floor from the last album. The mobsters yeah. and prostitutes joke was story. Yeah. No, not a joke. Where we did a casino. You always love it when I play casinos. Well, yeah, it's a, yeah, I don't know. You love it. It's um, a nice getaway. So, like, there's that story from the casino that I was leading into this. Right. Where these guys in the front row who seemed like sort of mobsters yes. were heckling me really hard. Yeah. And then I suggested that they leave with their dates, who I implied were prostitutes. Regrettable. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and it was one of those things where I wish I hadn't done it. Yes. My back was up against the yeah. wall. The guy looked at me in the straight in the eye and goes, I'm going to kill you. And it was like... <laughs> Oh my God, like not the, metaphoric. The, yeah, like they felt really felt like, yeah. oh no, this is really bad. Like this has gotten to a point where a crime might take place. <laughs> and on the news, they're like, unknown comedian murdered earlier this evening <laughs> uh, at Foxwoods Casino. And then after that, and this is actually a bizarre twist to the story and true. The women also came unfortunate. the two women, <laughs> I know, the two women came up to us who were the dates and said, are you guys looking for dates? Not realizing I was a comedian. Yeah. And we realized they were prostitutes and that I was right. And they, most guys might've been mobsters and I might be dead. I know. Or I might die. And then you had said, this is where the voice of reason comes yeah. in saying like, Mike, you can't do that on stage. Like you can't, yeah. but, but it's weird because as a comedian, you're on the spot all the time, yeah. no matter what happens in the room. And these guys were shouting at me in the front row. Yeah. And I, my job is to make the rest of the audience laugh and enjoy the show. Yeah. And so I have a responsibility to take this disruption and turn it into something entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I did that poorly. No, I right. did it well for the audience, but but yeah, those guys could have killed me. I know. Oh, that that's another funny thing from this album. And actually, I'm going to throw to the track right now. It's called Catholic School Sunglasses. You can always tell that people went to Catholic school as kids because they're atheists. Because they really beat it out of you. You know, you go in with a good attitude and then you're just like, oh man, I wanted to believe. And it's not just the molestations. Don't get me wrong. If it were just one vice, I think we could give them a pass. For me, it was these fundraisers they'd have us do every year. They would, and I'm not exaggerating, they would hand us a cardboard suitcase full of trinkets <laughs> to sell door to door to strangers. And if we sold enough of them, they would give us a pair of aviator sunglasses. Because that is what third graders need. Sexy eyewear. So the Catholic Church was like my knickknacks pimp, you know? Like I would, I would just like carry this suitcase that was like the size of my body up to a stranger's house, and I would be like, "Hello, I'm from St. Mary's School. Perhaps you would like to buy a Daffy Duck pencil sharpener or a polar bear pot holder." And then people would be like. We're eating dinner right now, and I would be like, it'll just be a minute, and I would just walk into their home. I didn't know any better. You know, I'd just open up shop and be like, perhaps you'd like a desk set organizer or popcorn for a year, and they'd be like, please leave our home. And then I'd just start stuffing this stuff back in, but it never fit in the way it had originally been placed in. 
and I'm kind of like scissor holding the whole thing together and sidestepping out, like, I'm so sorry. I'll be out of your way in just one minute. And that is why I am angry at the Catholic Church. Because I didn't get my sunglasses. And I am gonna go back to the Vatican this year and I am gonna ask for my damn sunglasses and they are gonna be confused. It's a funny thing that people to this day bring aviator sunglasses to my shows. Oh, funny. By the yeah. way, please don't do it. Uh, <laughs> I have way too many I'll of have these. You removed. I have removed. I have like piles of these uh, aviator sunglasses that I don't wear. I, I mean, I feel like you should get the essence of that from the stories that I'm not really an aviator sunglasses <laughs> guy. But yeah, that's a funny thing that people say. The other Joe Bag story that's fun is, uh, and I'll play it right now, is landfill pretzels. Joe Bags is very into justice. I don't know if you have anyone in your life like this. Like, we went to the U.S. Open, the tennis one last year, and uh, I bought a... There's two of them. There's like a golf one and a tennis one, right? So I'm at the U.S. Open with Joe Bags, and they... We bought a pretzel, and uh, it was for, like for five twenty-five. They really mark up the prices at the sporting events. Like they were selling peanuts for six dollars a bag, which peanuts is like the universal symbol for like no- nothing, you know? Like they're paying me peanuts around here, you know? The price of peanuts went up, I guess, and. They're $6 a bag. That's like Armageddon prices. Like if the sky was black and there's like, you know, unicorns like flying around, shooting lasers out of their hooves, you know. Peanuts would be $6 a bag. And there'd be like one guy who's trying to sell them for eight and everyone would be like, that guy's crazy. bought a pretzel for $5.25 and it tasted like garbage. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, it went, it seemed like they went to a landfill with, like, a mold or whatever. I don't know how you make pretzels, but then they're just like, you know, and off to the open because when I tried to put it in my mouth, like, it rejected it. It was like, this is not food, you know, and, um... And Joe, I, would, I was like, all right, we got garbage pretzel. But Joe is like, no, they're not allowed to sell us garbage, you know? And so he goes back to the vendor, and he was like, we would like a refund uh, for the pretzel. And the guy's like, I'm not going to give you a refund. I'll give you another pretzel. Joe was like, all right, we'll take the other pretzel. <laughs> Turns out it was from the same landfill because... It was just like, this is not food, you know? And um, so Joe gets real tough. He goes, you either have to give us a refund or you have to eat the pretzel. (laughs) And he gave us a refund. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's the power of Joe Bags. By the way, this is a very Joe Birbiglia in real life yeah. quality, which is you want justice. Right. You're like, Fairness. this is not fair. You can't, you can't sell us garbage yeah. and have us eat it and then expect us to not be mad. So what's the follow-up? So to two it? weeks later, I get an email from a guy who was in his car listening to the, you tell that story. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and started laughing uncontrollably 
and almost crashed his car and had to pull over. <laughs> oh my God. Because I just joked. <laughs> two weeks prior, or three weeks prior, he had been in New York City at the U.S. Open. No with, way. On his honeymoon with no his wife. No way. And had purchased a pretzel at the U.S. Open. And also found it completely inedible. I remember that guy. Yeah. Yeah, but, you forwarded to me. Yeah, but he just threw it away. He just kept watching the tennis. So people— He's like, screw this, I'm not eating it. But we, we wanted the refund. In case anyone wants to know the etiquette for what emails get to me through perbigs.com, they are—they <laughs> all go to Joe. <laughs> Everyone— Press at Burbigs, uh, you know, booking at Burbigs. Like, literally everything at Burbigs goes to Joe. Yes. Joe reads through the majority insanity that comes in. <laughs> and then uh, yes. and then stories like that, yeah. which are amazing, where the yeah. guy almost crashed his car. Totally. That gets to me. Yeah. Here's what I wrote down as my key question. Yeah. What's the least comfortable thing <laughs> about being my brother? <laughs> the least comfortable thing? Yeah. Like, be, so your brother's a comedian. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I think this happens, this is for a lot of people who work with family members, is like, deli- like when you call me, delineating whether it's like a brotherly call or a work call. I know. And uh, having to be ready for both things. I know. <laughs> I know it's true. It's true. And I, it's, it's, Jen laments that sometimes. She'll say, in some ways, it's sad because when I met you 13 years ago, yeah. you and your brother didn't work together, and he was your best friend. Oh. <laughs> and now he runs your company. You talk every day, but it's tons of work and business and logistics all the time. Yeah. And she's like, the way that you guys would laugh together right. when you were just friends and right. brothers right. is different. And she's like, it's too bad. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of it's just growing up, too. Our lives get more complicated. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was reminded listening today, uh, especially like to the old Mill Pond story, of just how it was really fun working with animators to make them into animated spots, which people, are on YouTube. It, yeah, if people haven't seen these, there's uh, three or four animated versions of different tracks four on YouTube. Just type in like Burbiglia Animation or go to burbigstube.com. Mm-hmm. The Old Mill Pond story, I'll throw to it right now. This is, uh, this is a track called Old Mill Pond from my Secret Public Journal Live. I was always the kid who uh, things happened to. Because uh, I was always afraid of everything. Like every summer, my friends would go uh, to Old Mill Pond and they would jump out of a 30-foot tree into a pond. And I never partook in this because I knew that I'm not jump out of the tree guy. You know, like I know that doesn't play to my skill set. My skills if you're wondering, include making English muffin pizzas, (laughs) microwaving hot chocolate, (laughs) dipping uh, English muffin pizzas in hot chocolate. (laughs) But one summer I went up in the tree and just to see what it would look like and and one of my my, uh, friends, Matt, was like, "Uh, dude, you gotta jump. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. And and he was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? It's only water. Which is really flawed logic because historically a lot of terrible things have happened in water. Drowning, shark attacks, bad sex. And, but he made an argument that in Boston where I'm from is irrefutable. He was like, do it. And so, 
So I jumped out of the tree, and for a few seconds there, I was feeling pretty good. I was like, maybe I am jump out of the tree guy, you know, like, I'm gonna go celebrate with an English muffin pizza. And then two things happened simultaneously as I hit the water. One is that uh, my back landed on the water at a flat plane, and it made a gunshot noise. The second is that about nine gallons of water rushed so far up my ass, it felt like it was coming out of my mouth. It was like a back alley colonoscopy from Dr. Old Mill, whose instruments had been sterilized in frog piss and pond scum, and I'm underwater, and I can hear laughter above the surface of the water. And I knew that when you hear that level of volume when you're underwater, that it's loud, you know? And I started to question those friendships. I was like, I'm not sure these people are my friends, you know? <laughs> but they are still my friends. <laughs> and that's sad. How does your wife feel about your unorthodox job? What happened was I was working um, on the side for you, right? Primarily doing my pharmaceutical right. job. Yes. And just on the side, moonlighting for free and doing yeah, this just... writing. And so what I would do is plan my business travel around what city you were in. But it was actually in Indianapolis that we had lunch and you said, I need you to quit your job. <laughs> and, I, and I need you to come work for me because it's, you know, it's too much. It's, it's really... It's too much stuff. There's a, it's just coming at you in all directions. You're the accounts receivable, accounts payable, yeah, yeah. taxes, everything. When you're a comedian, you're, you're everything all at once. Content, marketing, yeah. yeah. And so I brought that to my wife, uh, who was a bit taken aback. I mean, I was taken aback. And then, um, you know, I said, look, it's now or never. And it was funny because I gave notice. We had been trying to get pregnant at that time. And the morning... Hey, did that work out? It did. <laughs> the morning my wife told me she was pregnant, right? Came in and said she was pregnant 10 years ago. She said, I'm pregnant. And my first words to her were, can I still quit my job? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can I still quit my job? Wow. She said, yes. I just had one last thought well, yeah. regarding uh, joining work for you. I'll always remember, you know, I had just started working with you. I was up at the Montreal Comedy Festival <laughs> and unsure of it. And I remember talking to Jeff Ross at a party. It was very funny, right? Because you think of him as like the Roastmaster of General. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just goes to show how people are not their comedic personas. Oh, he's the nicest guy and in the I, world. And I had told him, you know, I left my job, you know, a year and a half ago. I've been working with Mike. And he just said, he just looked at me and he's like, and I'll never forget it. He was just like, it's very brave what you did. <laughs> you know, and he was just like, it was just nice because he was like so sincere yeah. and he really meant it. And yeah. You're brave like a fireman. No, he meant like a, you're no, brave. I'm just kidding. Like just kidding. you're brave, like you know, that's a that's a tough move. It's hard to, yeah, it's no. a tough move. No, and he's right. That. He's right. And and that story actually, yeah, that story makes sense because it's you are of the two of us more cautious, which is sort of our dynamic. Like there's certain stories that you're uncomfortable with me telling, and sometimes I have to make a judgment call. Like there's a story in the new show that is sort of embarrassing and you're uncomfortable with me telling. Oh, the story, yeah. Yeah, or as I would say, like sort of 
it's vulnerable to a point of like, you might hear it and go like, oh, I don't like him that much, mm. which Sleepwalk With Me has, my girlfriend, boyfriend has, but it's always like a leap to do that. I think you and I have a different experience with those types of stories because for me, I'm like, that's what's important for the artist to open yourself up and tell people what's wrong with you and sort of what you're most embarrassed about. And from your perspective, this is a fair point, is you're like, well, if people decide all of a sudden, like, we don't like this guy anymore, he's mm. a jerk, then you don't have a job anymore. <laughs> and you have two yeah. kids in right. a family right. and right. A, in a mortgage. Yes. It is a sort of odd give and take. And, you know, there's a lot of examples of this. In the business, you know, you have Jim Gaffigan works with his wife, yep, Jeannie Gaffigan. Exactly. You have Dane Cook who worked with his brother, yes. and that didn't end well. The only guy who ha- only brother who has the same job as me is in prison. He's in prison, and then there's a lot of sort of like tales of where some of the money is right. that he stole and all yeah. kinds of stuff. And it's good stories with, all, on with, the road. with all due respect, I don't know Dane at all. With all due respect, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that happened. Right. It's a very it's unfortunate, very unfortunate yeah. thing to happen. Yeah. Right. And Dane, if you could give me a call and talk to me about what were the signs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that must be a weird story for you to read. Yeah. Because that's like you, literally your job. You it, run the company. Yeah. Dane's brother ran his company. Yeah. His brother, if people don't know the, the story. Go, yeah, Google this story. <laughs> Google this story because it's – and again, Dana, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I know that this is a sad thing. Yeah. His brother was running his company and stole – as far as I understand it, millions of dollars yeah. from him. Yeah. And you must have read the story that day and just been like, um, it's a little too close to home that way. A little one. Close, too yeah. close to home. Yeah. Well, uh, the other one you're not you're not you're forgetting is Amy Schumer's sister runs her. Oh company. yeah, of course, Kim. Yeah. yeah. And they've got a good thing going. Oh God, yeah. Uh, I know I know Kim because I worked on Trainwreck and I also worked on Inside Amy Schumer, just you know, as an actor. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a handful of others. I mean, there's a history of uh, there's the Smothers Brothers. Yeah, but they were all the talent, right? On air. They were all on air. Yeah, yeah. There's Brian Regan and Dennis Regan. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that there's a lot of brothers and sisters in comedy. Mm-hmm. Sarah Silverman and Laura Silverman. Yeah. It, I think it's a, a, a bit in the family. Yeah. Neil Brennan and Kevin Brennan. Yeah. Who don't get along great. So thanks for listening to The Old Ones uh, with <laughs> Mike Birbiglia. I'm here with my brother Joe Birbiglia. Thank you for, for being here today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, and thanks for all the great work you've done on all these albums and, and the two movies over the years and uh, supporting me when no one believed in me, including my parents and best <laughs> friends. Whoa. Well, I think that we came a long way today. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Come out to see the new one tour. We'll see you out there. Joe. All right. Come see Joe Birbiglia, too. I'll be there. All right, this has been The Old Ones. If you liked that, check out the other episodes forthcoming and all of the tour dates on thenewone.com. I'm announcing some new cities very soon. This weekend's Chicago, Bloomington, Charleston, St. Louis, Atlanta. This is my last one of 2017. And then in January, I'm going to be in La Jolla, California. That one, if you're anywhere near there, that is a super cool like little theater. I'm going to do eight shows there. So that's going to be great. Boise, Salt Lake City. Oh, Los Angeles. Look on newend.com. I added two shows at the, like, amazing Largo, which is a, a, an intimate space in Los Angeles. It's my one of my favorite places on earth to just be. Also, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo. 
There's some Canadian dates coming soon. Aspen, Colorado, Austin, Texas. A big announcement about New York City very soon, so stay tuned. The Old Ones was produced by myself along with Joe Berbiglia, Peter Salomon, Johnny Levin, edited by Daniel Spaventa, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, associate producer Will Lupica, music by Roger Neal, who did Don't Think Twice. Special thanks to Jack Vaughn, Mike Berkowitz, Isaac Dunham, my wife Jennifer Stein, iTunes, as well as all of our friends at iTunes, Steve Wilson, our friends at Comedy Central Records, Dara Frank, Steve Reisis. Paul Ruest and Sirius XM. This interview was recorded by Noriko Okabe at Argo Studios in New York City. And my biggest thanks, of course, to Joe Berbiglia, who has not debrothered me yet. See you next time.